This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, and I'm back, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, guys? Can you believe it? Kessler and I are on the same podcast, doing something that's not a top ten list, talking about stuff like... We're both here. There's no stupid jokes. I'm not being Kessler's voice. It's it's wild stuff. It's wild stuff. Now you are on Skype, which is a whole new thing for us. We've had other people on Skype. Now Ben is on Skype. It's the first time I'm ever calling into the show on Skype. It's it's crazy, right? I I, I hope I hope the sound is good. Um, Kessler and I just you know couldn't we couldn't stand to be in the same room as one another, so we just decided to do it this way. I've been out of town. I was in China. I was in Hong Kong. I was in Dallas. I was in Atlanta. For the month of October, I will have spent in my hometown of Los Angeles a total of five days um, for that entire month. One of those, we recorded two of the weeks, two of the episodes for the month, and then the rest, I just wasn't able to kind of be here. And then um, for this month, I'm back. But now you're going to BlizzCon, so yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been a crazy... It's just been a crazy little stretch, man. Yeah, I, I leave for BlizzCon. I, I go and record. Um, I actually think I'm doing a press junket for that new Danny Glover Christmas movie tomorrow at 11. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen the preview, the, the uh, signs for it? It's like, it's called. Uh, is Danny Glover and Donald Glover two different people? Yeah, Donald Glover is the okay. new Han Solo. And, yeah, and Lando. Lando. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, Lando. Um, uh, D- Danny Glover is like. For, for Lethal Weapon, he's the guy who's not Mel Gibson. Oh, yes. Okay. He's, right. I do know he's, who the two of them are. Okay. I know who Donald movie. Glover is and I know who Danny Glover is. All right. So I, so I think I do the I think I think do the interviews with him and like, you know, Gabrielle Union and all these actors at 11. I, I think I tape Action Movie Anatomy at 1230. And then I think I'm on the road at 2 to head out to BlizzCon for a talent dinner with all of like Malik Forte and like uh, Michelle Morrow and all of our all of our talent people doing the TV broadcast. And then I'm just in Anaheim for the next five days, like living in a hotel for the TV broadcast, which is going to be just like, <laughs> I like, I like esports. I think Hearthstone's awesome. And, but it's not, you know, it's not my forte, obviously magic is my forte. Um, so it's definitely going to be a busy five days. I will be taking next Monday off, which I'm excited about, but not from the podcast. <laughs> well, we'll find time. We'll do it. We'll do yeah, a yeah. show. All we'll right. Show. So, on that, on, on talking about podcast, make sure to follow us on Twitter. We are at the MMCast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We are at MM, the MMCast. And last week, I, we added like a news segment to the show. Um, and I called out LSV for dropping in the standings of the, the top 25 because he hadn't done well at the Pro Tour when, in fact, he just hadn't played at the Pro Tour. I just like watched a lot of the Pro Tour. And I assumed because he was there doing coverage that it was like one of the things in the past where he had like played and then because he does been. that. He's done that most other years. Yeah, I just, him when he's not winning. I just figured, so I just was like, oh, he must have just not done very well and dropped after day one or something. I think and part I was, of it is when they did the change to um, the pro rewards and, and, and the prize pool, part of that, I think, it also came with, you know, you lose some of your appearance fee or there's some less incentive to play in every pro tour, so it gives them a little bit more of an opening. 
Got maybe, it. Maybe they did all of those changes so LSV can do coverage. <laughs> Who knows, man? He's really good at coverage. That's He's like definitely really funny. So anyway, uh, long story short, as I called that out on the cast, like a few people tweeted about it, and uh, just just pointing myself out for being mistaken there, uh, I made a mistake. So, uh, but we are on Twitter. I am personally on Twitter, and so are you, as well as Instagram. You can find me all of those places uh, at Ben Bateman Media. I am at Kess Wiley on all those places, and make sure to check out our YouTube channel because it's important uh, to subscribe there because you can watch video versions that Mike Clary does. We released basically last week's episode this week uh, when uh, we have you know they're sweet. Do we show the cards so you can know what we're talking about? Um, and last but not least, and this is really important, uh, and it's kind of segues right into our news section which we're going to start doing once a week as well um collected.company uh is actually the new home for the masters of modern and the command zone our sister podcast yes we are in we are in a transitional phase to establish exactly where everything is going to end up but for now we a hundred percent are there as well i mean our youtube stuff still houses our video but that is where you can find, and I believe we are reporting over all the old archives as well. So, so we apologize. So I think some people has run into an issue that, that either has automatically downloaded all of the episodes onto their phone because it's been updated, so it thinks there's a bunch of new ones, when re- in reality, we're just moving oh. on to the new site. So we apologize for that. It has been fixed, as far as I know. Um, and then, you know, well, one of the reasons is, you know, we were originally on rocketjump.com, uh, where... Uh, you know, home of video game high school and uh, all the other Rocket Jump content, but they're really a production company. They have nothing to do with magic, and it ended up we've kind of created this little microcosm there of magic stuff. And we realized that we probably need, if we're going to start growing and kind of doing exciting things, to have a separate home that is just for you know magic gaming tabletop stuff. And so, Collected Company was created. Uh, it's Collected dot Company, uh, and uh, that's kind of the new you know new home for the podcast. Yep, Exciting absolutely. stuff to come, guys. It's it's sweet. Um, the uh, next piece of news I would say is uh, all the commander product stuff just came out. Yeah. How how uh, much did you pay attention to the commander product, Ben? Well, I'm part of like a couple of Facebook groups, three different Facebook groups. One you're in, I think, all of them, and and you guys all pay attention to commander stuff. So I see a lot of posts from Marshall and everybody, and you ever you guys all share cards and three ten magic and stuff, and like. So I end up like seeing a lot of things like just peripherally and I read some of them and there's some really cool cards. I mean, there's that sweet like gutter snipe on steroids, the black red guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that card's just like awesome. Right. And, I and think you know, and you know, he's he's foil. So you get to play him in Highlander Roulette. Yeah, yep, yep. Actually, and I was scared there for a minute because it seemed like with the rules changes we were talking about that maybe wasn't going to happen. But um, now that I'm going to, yeah, I can't wait to play that guy. Yeah, yeah. So, so. Uh, <laughs> for modern, most of this doesn't you know matter a whole ton. Other you know, there's just some cool mechanical space they're playing in. Uh, there's some story stuff that we're kind of learning. Uh, I definitely think um, the there's a black, the non-blue general, which is super aggro, the four color one, uh, is hinting very heavily that we'll be going to a Viking world in the future. Okay, because um, she's like Viking status and has like all of the story around her is very Vikingy themed and like barbarian themed. Uh, but they do a sp- pretty specific job at making sure not to talk about where she's from so like most other ones they kind of mentioned where they're from because that's what's interesting one of the interesting things about them but the fact that they're dodgy about it generally is a hint of possible future worlds to go to and she's so viking themed behind her on top of that makes it very very likely since that's you know one of the places we everyone always wants to go that vikings are on their on their way like vikings so like just define for me for a second like 
what are some of the things that sort of go along with like the Viking world that we would see? Like what are some of the common tropes that exist in the, in the Viking world? Well, so there's the gods, there's like Thor and Odin and you know, the lot right, of them are right, the comic right. books, but there's like the, they're more like the, they're all war gods. They're like, they have themes, but they're always like kind of going to battle and you know, it's all about dying and going to Valhalla and you're trying to be with the gods by dying in oh, battle. Sure. And you have like the boats with like little dragony heads on them and you have the horned helmets, which apparent are not at all historically relevant, but you know, Neither are black colored ninjas, so we're gonna just move on. <laughs> right, um, right, right. And so, like you know, there's that kind of world. They're, they're seafarers and they're explorers, but then they're also like wintry, tundra-y kind of people. There's you know, there's there's definitely tropes there. Okay, cool. I mean, I guess I was just thinking because we just had Theros here and Theros. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, it's we're like going to I, Egypt world. Yeah, that's next, right? Some sort of Egypty yeah. thing. Well, I do, I do and I, I think this is maybe a preview for a long down the run. I don't know if this is in the next, you know, year, but I do think. Got it. Got it. I think this is like one of the first hints of one of the next places we're going to go to, uh, in okay. in the next seven years. You know, the, that's how far they kind of plan ahead. Um, Interesting. With, yeah, with Egypt, I mean, Egypt world. I, I think they don't want to go to. It depends. I'm very interested to see when we go to Amket, Amoket, uh, how they handle gods in that space. Um, since, right. Uh, you know, there was a while back where Maro did a poll on if we were to go to Egypt world, would you expect gods similar or different or in how, how different would you like them to be to Theros? And the overwhelming thing was there definitely needs to be gods, but they don't have to be exactly like they were in Theros. So I'm interested how they handle that. And if it'll start feeling redundant, if we see gods super regularly or if, you know, how, how much fatigue do we really have to kind of tolerate that? Right, right, right. Yeah, that is interesting, man. I mean, the concept of a god is very specific, and well, there's so many. Well, magic does such a job of trying to base, or often, especially with older cultures, trying to base, um, take those and kind of use them as examples. They did it with Theros to you know a certain extent, and it's very you know it's it's something that people kind of latch onto, right? And almost all of those old ancient cultures have this concept of a pantheon of gods. Interesting mm-hmm. enough, so the, there's definitely a lot to play there, and I'm interested to see how kind of wizards. Uh, tempers themselves and not doing it too often, but see how they do it when they do do it. Because hmm. eventually we're going to have to go to Theros too. So there's going to be the old gods that we all know and either love or dislike or, you know, however you feel about gods. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just think it's fascinating that how many years did we go in magic without gods being like a thing? Like well, that's think, like. Yeah, I think part of that always was a. Magic had such a huge stigma in the past on right with the whole like with Satanism and like all that right shit, all like that where stuff. they like you know uh, unholy strength had a had a an upside down star and pentagram. pentagram and then that was taken out and then they put it back in and then they no longer did demons and we did horrors and that's where horrors came from and then they're like yeah we can probably do demons um, once like I think actually it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer that actually convinced wizards that demons were okay because that show has heavy. D- demonic references and didn't have any problems. Um, so, you know, that, that I, I think eventually Wizards was like, well, we can do gods now. Like, we couldn't do a god. Like, that right. was not okay as a creature type. But now that we're doing Greek gods, and it's so obviously Greek-inspired world, we can get away with it. And now that, you know, the seal's broken. So, mm. gods are on their way. Egypt gods. Viking gods. Sweet. Uh, yeah. Well, let's talk. Let's talk just a little bit about what's going on in the Magic Tournament world before yep. we start to get into today's real uh, meaty topic. And I would say the two big things: there were some announcements with the Star City Circuit, 
Uh, Star City is relevant to us because, well, for a couple reasons. The biggest of which is that they have a modern open every weekend, and or those modern opens, or yep. yeah, and those, and they're super sweet. Like there was the the Caleb Durward. Uh, I talked about it last week, but that Bant Spirits list was like really cool, and so yep. I, I expect that to be a deck that sort of sticks around. We start to see more of. If you guys missed last week's episode and didn't hear about it, um, he he won. Uh, the 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 event with this really really cool like noble hierarch into spell quellers and like collected company um, type of spirits list that it was just very very cool like we, we, really we have fun deck. yeah and we have a guest lined up uh, in the next couple of weeks that's going to come on and actually help us deck tech that deck so it'll be it'll be really cool um, sweet yeah <laughs> um, but yeah so so legacy opens and legacy classics what's what's new on the legacy circuit or the star city game circuit. Yeah, well, the biggest changes that they just announced are that uh, they're actually moving away from, they're moving down to only two invitationals a year, but they're doubling the prize support. So it's less opportunities, but, you know, winning winning more money in those opportunities, which is cool. Um, it, it There's going to only be two legacy opens a year down from three. That was where they were sitting before. And so that's kind of like the, we've seen this now over the last few years. It's a conversation that happened a lot when Modern was launched. And has happened a lot since the birth of modern, which is that they aren't going to print duels. So the legacy is harder and harder to be popular. It's just a really, really difficult format to to really promote because at the end of the day, the most ubiquitous thing in the format are are these expensive cards that there's a slightly less good version available in a a supported format. And and because of that, I mean that's and that's kind of why they're you know. On top of that, they're also dropping legacy as classic uh, classic options. So you know when an open is happening, normally there's classic options at those tournaments. Uh, they're no longer going to be legacy classics. I mean, if you also consider something for a second, which is that uh, modern came out in like what 2011, 2010, something like that. I think like t- I think like 2011 maybe. I think it's five years old maybe. Um, and if you consider that in the last five years, the card pool that is legal in modern that did not used to be legal, you know, like Modern has grown by five years, as has Legacy, but it means that the percentage of cards that were only legal in Legacy and not legal in Modern has shrunk by almost 25%, because Magic's only been around for 20-some-odd years, so five more years worth of cards have been printed now, which every three or four years as that happens, Legacy becomes narrower and narrower in terms of things you're only able to do in Legacy that you can't do in Modern. So a few cards on the banned list, and then aside from that, there's like probably, I don't know, 30 to 40 heavily played cards that exist in legacy that aren't legal and it's you know it's pretty unfair stuff that breaks the mana curve the matter that modern wouldn't really want but the further we get from legacy the easier it is to justify modern kind of replacing it for a lot of people i think sure and and, you know back to you know that's what modern exists it sucks i mean i'm a legacy player for for you know a decade at least and, and uh you know my like legacy decks now lose value, and I feel bad for people that you know have recently invested in legacy decks because legacy will go down. But on one hand, your cards are still blue chip stocks. They're still you know they change in price so much slower than in other formats. And on top of that, you're you're going to you know this was something that was kind of on the horizon for a while. Legacy isn't a format that on on paper is able to grow because of the bottle cap of we can't print these cards. And Wizards isn't going to back on on the reserve list for a multitude of reasons, and so that's kind of the world we live in. And also, uh, the the most expensive cards in Legacy that are only legal in Legacy are valuable in both Cube and Commander, which is the, the lands and a few of the like really chase cards. And those are formats in a lot of cases where people that have those formats like to, to for lack of a better term, pimp out their decks. 
And that means that you want to have the real cards. You don't want to have a proxy. And, you know, it's going to keep the value of those duels high for a long time. It's going to keep the value of your Force of Wills reasonably high for a long time. Like, it's just, as you said, the prices change very slowly because you're ultimately dealing with collector's items. And when people call Magic a collectible card game, that is the side of it that is truly collectible. It's the classic side that they can't reprint. Right, I I think, and, and part of that is also, this will make Legacy less expensive to play, which means it could actually grow its popularity a little bit in the short run. And as you mentioned, like, you know, there are other formats that kind of encourage playing with these cards and, and maybe those will become a little bit more popular. Or you'll play a little bit more casual formats, but you know, if one of those becomes popular, life will become a little easier. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and ultimately they have something really great in modern. They're just continuing to develop. So I think that we will continue to see that. Um, let's, uh, let's move on from the SCG announcements. I, think those are the major ones and talk just a little bit about the face of standard what well, I, I do want to mention one, one thing back on the fact that they're going down to two um invitationals instead of the 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 more larger amount i, I think what we're seeing with both wizards and leg and uh star city games is that they're reducing the amount of you know x support or, or or pro support for for these as many events and condensing it so that the prize support is higher because in other professional esport situations the prize support is so much higher in those formats but i think this is the like consolidate and then expand again because you know wizards has been expanding recently pretty heavily and so the fact that right now we're getting an expansion um, we're getting a contention is allowing it to then expand again. So we'll, they'll eventually extend these kind of prize support expansions to other to more tournaments or, or raise the amount of invitations there'll be. But for now, we're in a situation where you only have they have to condense it so they can raise that prize support because that's how much money they have currently. Yeah, I mean, man, like for anybody who's closely watching esports, and I think a lot of the I think a lot of fans of Magic are. Um, it is just insane. Like, there's going to be some stuff announced this weekend that will, like, you know, it's just there'll be some stuff announced this weekend that will definitely be exciting. I, I can't say specifically what, but uh, it's just going to be more stuff where it's just like, wow, this is a this is a really viable, this is like a really viable game for high level competition and and you know well supported whatnot. Like, it's something that we wish we could see more of in Magic and we just don't get to, and we always sort of scratch our heads a little bit as to why there isn't more prize support and why magic hasn't sort of grown at the same rate, but kind of is what it is. Uh, that's just where it is right now and doesn't make it any less of a great game. So um, in last, any case, last but not least uh, this last weekend, two GPs happened um, both won by blue white flash and it's standard. So it's not super relevant to us. And uh, it looks like the format is just a two deck format. I mean, I know there are other decks out there and they did okay, but white blue and black green did such a such strong showings at both tournaments that I don't see um, the the diversity that we're we're eventually going to be looking for. Yeah, I mean, it, look, standard standard is uh, it evolves and it, it it standard kind of flows in this in this really interesting way because you have new cards every few months, so it's it's created and and it's made I think as kind of a puzzle that's supposed to give you those, that few months of diversity, you know, but they, it's not supposed to be that complex because they, they need it to be interesting, but like they don't want to make it so interesting that by printing new cards, they're sort of cheating you of the puzzle. Right. That's kind of how standard works is like, you really get to, you get get to try to solve the puzzle with the available assets for those few months. And so uh, it is kind of interesting to see that the pro tour happened. And as often happens, 
the big pro tour decks, the ones that made the finals and, you know, the, they ended up being sort of metagame choices and the decks that survived are not actually the finals decks. So none of the Aetherworks Marvel decks that were so popular at the pro tour are making it. You don't have control decks on either side. So you don't have, I mean, heavy, heavy spell control decks, like the two that you saw in the finals, which well, there was, was like, there was a, like a blue red fevered visions deck in second place in one of the, in GP Santiago. So I don't know if I completely agree that there's no control, but I do think like when of the top eight of both like five are black green delirium and five are blue white flash. And I think it's even more than that is like, that's a pretty significant notice of like this, this is the rock, paper, scissors of this format. We definitely have a rock and a paper. Well, I think, okay, yeah, so you have a few things with, with Delirium, you know, there's definitely some fun stuff, you have like a heavy heavy kind of Grim Flare and, and uh, you know, Traverse and things like that, but in Blue Eye Flash, as, as you have in the, in the popular vehicles deck as well, you just have Smuggler's Copters everywhere, like that card is so good, and, and that card was called out as being so good when it was first printed, but I mean, if you're going to look at decks that are competitive in standard, what we really want to do is we want to say, okay, what are the standard cards that we think long-term have an impact in modern? I think First and foremost, the easiest ones to, to put your finger on are probably Grim the Fastlands. And... I was going to say the Fastlands oh. probably are the ones that long-term have the most consistent place just because they're going to be Well, I think, I think to... those are going to be interesting. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later today, too, is, is Fastlands are, you know, they're a slower adopted card. But once they do, they kind of cement themselves there because you don't real like the decks don't realize, oh, I need to save life in my burn matchup this week. So I need to throw in one or two extra of these fast lands. And so it's a little bit, it takes longer for decks to kind of absorb these type of lands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Um, and I would say, you know, if you're going to try to look and guess long-term, which, which cards do you expect it to show up more often? I, I have a feeling traverse the Ovenwald is a card you're going to see long-term in modern. I think there, there's, there's a small place for it so far. It hasn't been as, it hasn't been as big of a player in the format as I expected, but I think that that's, it's a versatile tutor that costs one mana, you know? Like right. that's Well there's that's, there's and there's 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 rug um Bedlam Reveler decks that are running it that are really sweet. And we'll do a deck tech on that too. Uh, another guest we have lined up wants to do that deck. So we have there's definitely some decks out there that are already starting to play it and they'll grow. And I do think, you know, right now there's these uh there's Jun Delirium decks kind of in modern. I do think there's a hard argument for junk because you you know, Copter Thopter the the Copter is another place that that'll see kind Smuggler's of Smuggler's Copter, play yeah. Because it plays so well with Lingering Souls because you can, A, discard the Lingering Souls to the discard trigger, but then you can also pilot it with Lingering Souls pretty easily. So like Yeah, you, you play it on turn two. You, you play Souls on turn three and then attack. Like, that's right. awesome. That's really good. Yeah, like, it does a lot of interesting things. And, and, and I do think that's kind of one of the cool places that these, you know, standard cards, looking at what standard is doing is a good place to kind of evaluate cards to bring into modern. Um, so that's that's kind of it for our new section for today. Uh, I, I do want to hear from you guys um, how you guys like that we're doing this new section in the beginning of every episode. Uh, one of the reasons we're doing it is, A, because there's just a bunch of cool stuff that we want to touch on a little bit every episode. And B, you know, we're trying to kind of do something that is a little bit more expansive on, on what this podcast is possible. Um, next, so, so the big subject matter for the day uh, if you read the title, you saw it, is uh, kind of a step-by-step -step guide on, and analysis on uh, deck building, uh, specifically on the land side. So how to kind of build your mana base. Yeah, so this is how we're going to do this, because Kessler and I have talked about this one a lot of times. We have different philosophies on mana bases, but he's a little bit more meticulous as far as his counts go. I tend to be a little bit more focused on my on my spells and my creatures, and I, I tend to like have a really hard time cutting cards which is why you'll notice that when I play decks, they very, very often 
should be playing 24 or 25 lands, but they end up playing 23. And I just like try to justify why that's the right move, which it very often is not. And I end up having to add lands. So I'm going to sort of just try to be the audience member here and give you sort of the devil's advocate approach to everything that Kessler says to really help explain what it means and why it is. Because uh, I think his is a little less biased than mine. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it, it's interesting. I mean, modern inherently is defined by the fetch shock mana base. Like the, the, from the very beginning, this is kind of what the format's been about. Yeah, it's. I mean, absolutely. It's it's the, the traditional sort of like the traditional mana base is like somewhere between seven and ten shock or a fetch lands, depending on what deck you're playing and how quickly you want to fill your graveyard up, and then something in the realm of like four to six shocks with like some number of basics and then a couple a couple man lands, and then occasionally if it's like a Gavany Township deck or something, you know, you do that, but that's kind of that's kind of where most of the decks land, and and uh, there's some some differences, but it all does really start with the fetches and shocks. So so yeah, and and, and this this conversation today is, is definitely going to be leading more towards just if you're building a deck like the direction of kind of how to build your lands. There's there's very specific decks out there like Affinity or what Amulet Bloom was trying to do, where your mana base is going to be very different than what we discussed, just because there's a little bit more of a synergistic path that you're going for, and your lands need to even compete on that plan. So like with Affinity, you have you know eight artifact. Uh, based man lands, you have four straight up artifact lands, you have the one land that can tap for any color man if you have artifacts, like these are all and then a few basics here and there but like that's, you know, that's specific to affinity, no other deck kind of plays that. With Amulet Bloom back in the day, is like, how many bounce lands can I run? How many tutor targets can I have for the four Teleri West am I playing? You know, is there a way for my burn matchup to be, like it, it, their lands were ended up being actually spells versus anything else. So there's definitely differences out there, but the place, I, you know, people start are fetch and shock. And when it comes down to it, and this is the reason shocks kind of haven't bounced back from that return to Ravnica upprinting versus the fetches, that fetches are a much more inherently important part of that combination. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, I said it a second ago, but I mean, what ends up happening is, what ends up happening is that you don't want to play that many Shocklands. Like, you don't. You don't, there's very, very, very few decks in the format, unless they are decks that don't rely on fetches, that want to play four of any one Shock. It's just not what happens. You, you need to be able to search out your colors you need, and then you kind of fill in the blanks. So it's very often, the, the reason they haven't bounced back financially is, yeah, you're playing two Steam Vents, not right. four Steam Vents, but you're playing four Scalding Tarns. Right. And, and if you're in a two-color deck, you play four. Because at that point, you just want every draw you have. The, like, one of the reasons you only play two colors is just the consistency of your mana base. You know, you're losing the card options for having just a consistency factor to it. And in that situation, yes, you play four. But once you get to the three-color decks, which are, for all intents and purposes, most decks in the format, you want to play with, you know, probably you're playing three-color. You have your two main-color combinations. So you play, you know, in, in junk for instance you play two godless shrine which is the black white land and two um uh the green black one and then you play one of the 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 land that's less important so like when it comes down to it you're playing around five maybe going to six if you're a little bit more centered and you can play you know you want two of each of the colors um and then for the rest of the thing you go you know you just play eight to twelve shot uh, fetch lands and that kind of balances based more on how many spell lands and other lands you want to play but you know, you, once again, you play, you know, four Verdant Catacombs, then you go to, you know, maybe a little bit less Arid Mesa, and maybe a little bit less, uh, or not Arid Mesa, sorry, um, what's the black, Marsh Flats, and then you go into, you know, some, t some, some Temple Gardens, and, it, you know, you break it down to what colors you need the most, and that often has to do with, 
are you playing a green green spell and a black black spell? So often you're playing Liliana the Veil. So are you playing double green? Are you playing double red? Are you playing double white? What do you need the most? Yeah, I mean, also, you know, remember that there. So you start with the fetches and the shocks, but there's also the the mana base you build. It depends very very heavily on how quickly do you need to hit your colors? Do you need them to be untapped? How many of your lands need to be untapped? And that's that is where you end up finding the. Uh, the like, how many man lands can I play question or like, uh, I, I've actually seen mana bases get like, and that's where like, that's where f- fast lands come into play. I've seen decks start to get a little bit more creative with like playing like one of, of the, uh, one of, of the tango lands, you know, because they're searchable. And sometimes if you don't need to hit an untapped land all the time, you can just search one up end of turn. And it's untapped. Like, well, and, like, I, and the red green Titan shift decks play four because of the mountain subtype. Like there right. are reasons to play other, um, the the next level of, of uh, fetchable lands. And, and that's kind of the other half is, you know, when you're looking at how many fetches you should play, the more reasons your deck needs to play these other lands is the less fetches you play. Because, like, Burn plays 12, because they don't care about their life total. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Burn. You know, the, I, Blood Moon isn't that big of a problem for them. They don't need to protect against Blood Moon. And so they're in a situation where they're just like, okay, I'll just play as many fetches as possible, as many shocks as possible, and kill them before me because I'm faster than everyone else. All right, so if level one is fetches and shocks, what's level two? I would say level two um, is likely a combination of the fast lands and the man lands. Um, I think these are the second best two cycles in the format in general. When it comes to mana fixing lands, uh, we'll get to spell lands later. Um, Because with man lands, you know, modern is a wonky format, so you want to fight against... We don't have Brainstorm. We don't have Preordain. We don't have these cantrippy ways to fix your mana base normally. And so man lands allow you to go... Make sure you always are hitting your land drops that you need to be hitting while also having a mana sink um, and something to do with your mana if you get mana flooded. Plus, they dodge Abrupt Decay. The good ones all dodge Lightning Bolt. So like, there's a lot of different ways they dodge removal spells in an interesting way, and they're always available if you mana flood yourself. Yeah, I've read articles like Paulo has written articles before about like why people should play more lands. Just sort of like why wouldn't you? There's so many good lands available now that like if in modern like why don't you just build a mana base with 26 instead of 24? Because you if you get mana flooded, you at least have something to do with it. And like you know you like you don't want to get mana screwed. Getting mana screwed is like the biggest case of the feel bads in the world. Right, and once you get to like the spell land side of things, so many of these cards are so strong that it it, it is really important. Uh, and then the other th- half of that is the fast lands, and the fast lands are kind of the the antithesis of the fetch shock mana base in the sense that they're al- they allow modern to exist on the access that it is, where it cares mostly about the first three turns of the game, while also not losing you the life that's important because other decks are only caring about the first three turns of the game. Yeah, would you say that in order then you would rank in, in terms of strength and skill, you would go fetches first, you would say shock second. And you would say, which, which would you put third as most important? You would put Manlands. Manlands third, and then fourth would be Fastlands, and then fifth would probably be Painlands in terms of color fixing. No, I, 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 it, um, what's it called? We talked. I mean, this is the problem with these lands because they're weird. But uh, I would put Future Sight lands like right after Manlands or Fastlands, and they might be before Fastlands. Future Sight lands meaning the, the whole cycle because you no, get the... just the two important ones. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. There's the, the for those who don't know the red green one 
and the uh, black, green, white one. Uh, both have a weird effect. We talked about this in previous episodes. Uh, red, green one, grove of the berm willows, uh, taps to give your opponent a life to fix any mana in red, green you need. Uh, and then but it the also taps for wastes. And then, and then green, white does not tap for wastes. It only taps for green, white, but you can pay one, tap it, and sacrifice it to draw a card. So um, it's called Horizon Canopy. Those, Yeah, I mean, I agree. Those are the two best. I mean, Graven Cairns is part of the cycle of the filter lands that ended up being... You know, those were playable. They're probably like seventh or something, or like eighth. Well, I think they're. I would actually say they're next, and and there's interesting reasons for that. But part of the reasons I would have them as low as I do, or Graven Carns, I wouldn't put as high as I do, is because Graven Carns isn't one of the ones that really sees play. Uh, there are very few decks that need double red and double black. Like the only common, really, that I can even think of right now, and someone on Twitter might tell me I'm wrong. Uh, Kiki Jiki is the only double red card that's really yeah. heavily played. That's not that's not in like in decks that are primarily red. I mean, I used to see used to see people play uh, sulfur sulfur not sulfur falls. I used to see people play um, bl- cascade bluffs a lot in the old twin decks because they would play both cryptic command and Kiki Jiki. Yeah, but yeah, no. a long time ago. Right, and I think filterlands in general have a place. I think like the black green one is pretty good in decks that are trying to run both yeah. Liliana and something uh, that cost double green uh and you know you see black white ones in in black white decks because they're trying to do liliana and double white you know there are so many different places in other parts of the format um especially any deck playing kiki jiki like kiki jiki is almost makes it so the red blue one is very important for that deck and that's because just triple red is hard and cryptic command is triple blue so that's where those kind of fit and i would you only play one or two at most and two is really pushing it but if you have an, if you have a deck that has multiple spells that on turn two or three or four you want to have different complete sets of double or triple mana, then looking at one of those filter lands is really important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, inherently the problem with the filter lands is that if you draw two. a filter land, yeah, if you, if you draw two in the opening hand, you're totally screwed. And then there's also the other thing where it's like it, it they're like the worst land to draw in the one lander when like maybe you've already molded the six. And then you draw that, and that's your one land, and you're just like, oh god, like I don't even get to play. Like this isn't even like a, this isn't even like a man land where like I wish things could tap on turn one, but I'll be a turn slower. It's like this can't do anything, and I have to draw another land for this to work. Right. And so that's yeah. so, frustrating. Yeah, and and so in our current metaphysical mana base, you know, we're having eight. We're gonna say eight fetches. We're gonna play with five shocks, two, two, and one. Um, and now we're, you know, we're playing probably two to four man lands, um, depends on which man land, but you know, I generally recommend three to four. I, I think anything less and less, unless you really can't handle the tapped land. And, and, and on the other hand, I would say either you're playing three to four man lands or you're playing three to four fast lands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you yeah. don't play both. They don't really go really well together, but you're picking one of those based on what our deck is. And then you play, you know, look at your spells. And the other one um, is uh, the um, the check lands. Yes, the uh, that's the the buddy lands as they're called sometimes. Those are the ones that if you control a basic of the correct type, uh, one of the two, they come into play untapped. It doesn't have to be a basic. Just a, if you control. So one was like if you control planes or an island. Oh right, right, right. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. They, they were they were they were printed originally as the. The Allied cycle was printed originally in one of the M sets, like M10, M10 I think. Yeah, M10. And then the uh, the enemy cycle was printed in Innistrad. Correct. Um, these see play generally for very similar reasons that the filter lands, and kind of you're not playing both, uh, you're playing one or the other. And 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 the main reason it sees play, and it's generally in blue decks, is um, choke is in the format, and so you want to play some amount of untapped 
um, non non uh, island specific cards. Um, so it gives you kind of a blue red dual land that isn't requiring you to play an island. Yeah, there's also a handful of these other ones that you'll see that show up in decks. There's like a slew of them in different decks that people will play uh, to avoid the the type of island. So you'll see like in Merfolk decks, you'll see them play Wanderwine Hub, even if they don't play white sometimes. You'll see them play Oboro Place in the Clouds because it's an untapped blue source. Um, that's pretty common. You see that a lot. So I noticed you haven't really talked about Painlands. You don't, so you don't believe in Painlands. No, I, th- I, think, I think Painlands are next. I, I do think Painlands have a specific purpose. In the, they have two... At this point, because we have so many dual lands, the reason they're seeing as much important play as they do is because the Eldrazi super type or creature right. type. The the the, Eldra- the Wingding mana um, is so inherently important to that card to those cards seeing play, and they'll see play forever because Thought Not Seer is a great card, and it's really hard for that card to not be good. Um, and in those in those decks, they're tri lands, which is an insane amount of value off of that. But I do think they're not necessarily as um, Important for other decks, it used to be that blue-red decks would play a few, but even then, they, that I feel like would probably slow down, especially with the new fast lands that were printed and the new enemy, you know, like all these cycles that previously didn't have enemy combinations, we'll see more play, so like Storm doesn't need it, like I don't see them being as inherently important in the format, if, specifically if the Eldrazi didn't exist. Now because of the Eldrazi, obviously they're important, Tri-Lands are going to always be good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I mean we haven't, I guess we haven't seen a lot of decks that historically used them. They were, uh, and we see a lot of them now because the Eldrazi, like you said, and, and as you just mentioned, Storm was the thing. And I guess other than that... I think Twin always, played a few, but not like a ton. Like one, maybe. I've always been a fan of them, personally. I always, I always, liked, the, I always liked the flexibility, but it's true that I'm, I'm sure that the reason that they don't see as much play is that the studies have, sh- have shown over time that uh, that's not really where you want to be, is uh, paying life every time you need colors. And, and they'll always be around. I mean, they're they're a colored source that if your life total, if you're like, the problem with them is the fetch shock half of the mana base. Like the fact that you are so harmful to your life total already with your mana base as like a base level means that you're going to run into an issue where this is an additional land that's pressuring your life total, and it's not that valuable unless you're really getting value of the fact that it can tap for colorless. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like in decks that, I guess if you were in a deck that was heavily that was very like base colored, like you didn't need that much colored mana, or or where it was just that your life total like really doesn't matter at all. You never anticipate it mattering at all, which is what Storm was. Um, right, exactly. That's where you do it. You do it because it's just it's it's the most it's the most convenient untapped blue red land that isn't already being played in your deck. And I guess now, honestly, in Storm, you wonder like would would the blue red fast land replace that in storm now or like would storm really want to be able to draw an untapped source to play as its fourth land to go off on turn four probably it still wants shivan reef because playing because drawing an, a tapped land as your fourth land is devastating for that deck sure though i don't i don't know if it plays it over the blue red check land oh that's a good point yeah cascade, cascade bluffs there's cascade bluffs the filter no land. cascade bluffs the filter land okay too many lands yeah. and names. How do people keep like I have I have no idea at all what the actual names of any of the lands that have come out with the last year are. I don't know what lands are called from Shadow of Rinistrad. I don't know what lands are called from Battle for Zendikar. No idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. Those those are the ones that I was I was going to be with you on. All the old ones, I, I think I could name every Czech land offhand. I think I could name every pain land offhand. Definitely every shock and fetch, obviously. I think all the old fast lands for sure. The new fast lands, no idea. 
Um, What's the blue white one? The Fast, which blue Fastland. That's uh, that's uh, <laughs> wait, Seacrow Coast, right? Seacrow yeah, Coast. You got it. <laughs> um, all right, so. Now we come to the, the last kind of piece of the the manland pile and and uh, what or not the manland pile the land kind of choice and that is really getting into spell lands, um, and yes there are other land cycles that you could maybe see play but none of them are really as consistent as the one we named that some of the tribal ones see play you mentioned you mentioned Wanderine Hub, um, which is important and then you know there's um, if you're playing tree folk or you really want to try land uh, there's the um, wander uh, Murmuring boss. Murmuring boss. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so far, and as we mentioned before, you know, of the new fetch lands, the one from Battle for Zendikar, the red green one is seeing a ton of play because of the fact that Scapeshift cares so much about mountains, but the deck is needs red green mana fixing. <laughs> yeah. So it, there are reasons to play kind of some of the other new lands, but they're a little bit more one off. These lands, the filter lands, the check lands, man lands fetch lands fast lands and shock lands are kind of like the 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 main six with the future site pair kind of being an important piece of that kind of combination yeah i would agree i would agree um so next and 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 once we get away from color fixing uh to a certain extent we get into spell lands um these are you know each depends on what your deck is trying to do and sometimes it's metagame so sometimes they're a little bit better than a man land or they, they take the place of a man land if you don't need the fixing as much or they even share the space so like the most ca- you know common of this is gavany township uh, these are the yeah. innistrad spell lands um, which we've talked about before but gavany township which you can tap for four mana and get, put a plus one plus one counter on every creature you have uh Loot House, which is the red-blue spell land that you can tap to draw a card and discard a ha- card. You know, there, there are different cards from this cycle that are all, and we've talked about each one, I think, before, about why each one is powerful or not powerful. But when it comes down to it, these are, you know, you want, if you're playing some of these spell lands, this is where you get into how important is it if these colors. And these are ones that I would say, if you're playing a filter land, you can't play these lands very well. If you need a filter land, these lands become significantly harder to play. And Definitely. if you're playing these lands, then a filter land is probably not going to work because there's nothing that feels worse than gra- than just having Ghost Quarter and a filter land in your hand. <laughs> yeah, absolutely nothing worse at all. I mean, there's, yeah, like the, the, uh, uh, oh, sorry, I just had a complete brain fart. The, the spell lands. You mentioned, we, we talked about this on our Top 100 Cards episode, but yeah, Gavany Township is the one that has seen the most consistent play, for sure. Um, then you have, you used to see Loot House, Desolate Lighthouse played a lot. It's not played anywhere near as much now because Twin's not a deck anymore. Yeah, but Blue-Red is worse, so Loot House is worse. But, I mean, yeah, you have Loot House, you have the Black-White one sees uh, some play out of tokens. Yeah, that Black-White that black white one, honestly, that's, it's funny because they, they, each one of them, when they're good, they're like really, really good. You know, and, and somebody plays them against you. And that Vault of the Archangel is like, that's the black-white one. Yeah. That's a card that when that gets activated against you in some situations, you feel like you can't win the game. It actually, like, it's one of the few cards that I can think of where somebody's activated that card. And I've been like, oh, oh my God, like, my strategy of, like, playing tempo or trying to burn you out or anything is, like, it's just over now. Like, you, oh, yeah. you well, can block anything I'm attacking you with. Like, you can effectively get out of range. Like, I have no chance. Right. And, and, and like... Even with that card, like the fact that some of these cards also have this, like vague surprise factor because it's like, oh, I can you're just attacking me. I can take that Tarm Wolf, and you're like, oh, oh, you have you have Kessig Wolf run. Okay, it's now a a nine f- eight <laughs> as trample. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, Wolf Run's really good too. 
Yeah, there's there's each one is kind of has some of the unique. There's obviously bad ones. The blue black one, the red black one, uh, green black one are all kind of bad. Um, and and some of these have been huge tournament players. Like even the red white one saw a ton of play in Amulet Bloom, and so yeah, there's, there's, and. And the blue white one in standard was a big player, but then never has really transitioned into uh, into modern. I always liked the blue white one. I always felt like that card was a little bit under underutilized. That's the um, Moreland Haunt, I think it's called. I think the part of that is just modern doesn't have many creature blue white decks. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, there are some mid range ones, and I think there's maybe an argument to play those in those. Um, and on top of that, blue decks are generally going to want to have access to either, you know, all the mana they need, so they need filter lands, or they're going to go after um, kind of a more loot house, they're playing red kind of situation. Yeah, did did uh, did did Moreland Haunt make it into Caleb's list at Star City? That's one thing I actually didn't check, and I wonder if it did. I wonder if he, because that, that, that played a lot of the same technology as the old standard decks that played it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, I haven't seen the list recently. Interesting. Well, when we do the deck tech, we can talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and be, the next kind of step on this is land destruction. This is the other major, I would say after the spell lands, land destruction lands. So the inheritors to the wasteland fortune <laughs> right. are um, kind of the most played spell lands. And the big two, and really it's the big one recently people have realized, uh, are Ghost Quarter and Tectonic Edge. Ghost Quarter is the, probably the most played. Yeah, I would agree. I would say, and I, and I have found the more and more that I've played in multiple formats that I like Ghost Quarter more than Tech Edge. Tech Edge used to be a much bigger player, and it's funny because Ghost Quarter existed. Ghost Quarter existed back in those days when Tech Edge was the, was the preferred card. It just, for whatever reason, just like... Over time, it feels like people only play Ghost Quarter anymore. I feel like you almost never see Tech Edge. I think the main reason is that the format doesn't matter after turn four, and being able to kill uh, Ink Moth Nexus out of Infect and Infinity and or Ink Moth Nexus out of Infinity on turn three and two is inherently more important than be able to just kill the land forever. Like I'd rather kill one of those and then have them get a basic land than not. Agreed. Also, the, the the one other thing that uh, Ghost Quarter has always had the ability to do for decks, um, especially with the idea of efficiency, is that you can tap a land for mana, then Ghost Quarter the tapped land, bring in an untapped basic, tap that for for mana, and essentially fix your like fix a color like a color problem that turn. Right. Uh, which is something that Tech Edge is not able to do. So it, it, there are other decks where it's kind of been a combo engine. If you look at what it used to do in Eggs, it used to target the indestructible artifact land, um, letting you keep the artifact land, fix your color, get a blue land. But then when you played um, Second Sunrise, it would return all the ghost quarters you sacrificed back into play, letting you kind of repeat the loop and make your mana base kind of kind of just better and better in play. Um, that deck was sweet. Yeah, so it, it, it has a lot of versatility and cool little unique plays. Um, actually, recently just had it with Gitrog out, and I used it on my own land and drew three cards. It was it was a uh, pretty great. <laughs> oh oh, Gitrog. <laughs> um, the next, the 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 last kind of area after land destruction, I do want to talk about, and these are more, I would say, the synergistic. Uh, land cards and this is where I was kind of talking about in the beginning where we weren't going to hit on too heavily um, this is stuff like um, Cavern of Souls or Mutavault or sure we'll call them we'll call them uh, 
like sort of like one-off utility lands or something like well, that. Yeah, they're, they're synergy. They're, they're more lands that you play because they're good with what everything your deck is doing versus helping your deck kind of do its game plan with generic winningness. Like they require your deck to play them. They require your deck to be on a certain game plan. Like any green I, white deck can play Gavity Township. Not every green white deck can play um, uh, the temple. What's the tap mana to make a bunch of mana? Tap mana. Oh, Nykthus? Yeah, Nykthus. Yeah, and then there's also, like, you're forgetting to talk about, like, uh, City of Brass, Mana Confluence, Gemstone Mine, five-color lands that are just very deck-specific. Well, I'd say those are the... I would say that's... I was going to say the five-color lands for the last category. You're jumping oh, ahead. God. We're, we're oh. currently in the, like... <laughs> cheats. Um, we're currently more more talking of on, like, the Tron lands. And, got it, got it, got it. Okay, know, Synergy lands. Yeah, that makes synergy sense. lands, like Mutavault and Cavernous, where your deck is requiring your deck to do something. Uh, Temple... Uh, Eldrazi Temple. These are Glimmer. Yeah, Glimmer Void. Yeah, these are decks that will only show up in the decks they belong to. I would even argue like Ink Moth Nexus and Blink Moth Nexus kind of fall into the same kind of category. Yeah, where, to totally, totally. Yeah. They're they're specifically good in their decks. It's not like you're going to play an Ink Moth Nexus in any deck. It has to be a very specific deck for it. Right. Um, though I do think they they are the most hugging between man lands and and, and this kind of category because they are technically man lands, as is Mutavault. Um, right. But it's not like they're mana-fixing man land, so they, there is a little bit more of a cost to put them in the deck. And they require your deck to be a little bit more on game plan. Um, right. Versus, like, every deck that's playing red green is that can you know afford having a tapped land come into play regularly is probably better off with Raging Ravine. Yeah, just, that's just fair. Just in general. Um, so... These are slightly different in that sense, but these 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 are really inherent on the deck you're playing, and these are ones that you'll kind of know just by more experience with the format, or looking online, or you know just an understanding of these cards existing, because you know, oh, I'm playing a deck that is all green mana symbols, so Nykthos is probably really good. Oh, I'm playing a deck that has a ton of artifacts, and I need multiple mana. I can play um, the you know what's the land that taps for gold in artifacts that I'm forgetting that you mentioned. Glimmer, Glimmeroid. Yes, Glimmer Void. So that's that's kind of where I would put these. And then... And Kessler, can't remember the names of cards ever. Yeah, whatever Seachrome Coast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and last but not least, the Goldlands. So these are the all the colors that you were talking about a hot second ago. This includes Gemstone Cavern, a little bit Glimmer Void. Uh, gemstone, gemstone Mine. Gemstone, gemstone mine. mine, sorry. Uh, Mana Confluence. Um, City of Brass. City of Brass. Uh, and then the the wackier ones are like the one that creates 1-1 one, one spirits, colorless spirits. Yeah. yeah, Forbidden Orchard. And then there's like the single, there's the one-off ones like Tendo Ice Bridge, now Aether Hub, uh, one-time use lands that you have Correct. the ability to, to use once. Uh, Mirrodin's Core is one that I don't think sees any play, but is you know a modern playable five-color land. Um, Interesting fact, Tendo Ice Bridge is better... In modern, unless you have other ways to generate energy, it looks like because it, you still get the counter even with Blood Moon in play. Oh, interesting! Interesting. Um, I wondered. I uh, so so okay. Anyway, so so yeah, that's there's not a whole lot of those five color lands. There's there's a few of them. So here's what's really interesting. The first one, the first question I would have is: Modern is a format that we are talking about is defined by its first three turns, right? which means that a lot of the games go quickly. And you would think that when we talked about like the pain lands, not seeing as much play, I'm sort of, I'm sort of confused and curious why we haven't seen more play out of mana confluence and city of brass. Gemstone mine has seen a lot of play in modern, but, but city of brass and mana confluence are fringe players. And you would think 
there would be more decks taking advantage of the fact that those are five color untapped lands. Like, it, it's the same reason as the pain lands. It, it's the fact that burn exists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's much just it, other things you can do. It's just like most decks inherently because of mana fetches are really playing at a 15 life total. Yeah. And so unless you're really careful and slowing your game plan down. So these pain lands and, and especially City of Brass on Friends who has no out clause, like at least with pain lands, you can tap them to for a colorless. So after like yeah. the first three turns when you really need them for fixing, they become just colorless lands because you have all the basics you'll need to play with them. Uh, I guess we didn't yeah. talk about basics. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> the mana conflicts like cards have that inherent problem. They don't, um, they cost you life. And life is really important in this format when you have Merfolk bashing from left field, you have Burn bashing from right field, and you just need to be able to stay over that life total threshold. Right. And then you have banned lands like I have again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then basics. <laughs> the, the, the one thing I do want to say about basics is that it's really important that you have at least one basic of every color in your deck. And I would recommend two of every color, though you can cut down on mountains. <laughs> right, right, so, right. Because of Blood Moon, that's where the Mountain Clause is. So, like, it's kind of you have two of each, but then you can't not play with Mountains because of what we talk, you know, Ghost Quarter and then Path to Exile. Both of those right. cards make it so you are really encouraged to make sure you're playing with, you know, four to five basic lands and maybe even more. If you can get away with more, that's great. Um, and that just really comes down to there are at least three cards that punish you for not having them. And those three cards are all some of the most played cards in the format. Yeah, I mean, also, like, keep in mind, Modern is a format that is dependent heavily on sideboarding into your, your very, very narrow sideboard plan, and then sometimes keeping really, really weak hands that have your one card. And the most the most notorious two cards in Modern's history for that are Sony Silence and Blood Moon. So if you're talking about Blood Moon, and Blood Moon is still legal, and somebody keeps a poor hand against you, and they Blood Moon you on turn three, and you don't have the higher... Like, the difference between two basics in a deck and four basics is like a massive percentage difference of right. with the game stalls out where they've played their blood moon and they don't have any action, but they're just sitting on it. Your ability, you need to be able to draw those basics. That's what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to sit there. Imagine you're playing at a high level, like day two of a grand prix and someone does that to you and you're not prepared. You have to be able to draw those basics. That's the most right. important reason you're playing. Well, and the other side is fetching for those basics. Like the fact that a, you need choices because there's going to be a time where you drew your swamp and you're going to need to fetch for, uh, and it's impl or you played your swamp already and you're at three you know two life and you need to fetch for a land and play a spell this turn and then you'll be fine but if you can't fetch for a basic you lose <laughs> right so right, like right. and it has to be a swamp so like you know there there are definitely times in the game where your fetch lands being able to fetch for these basics is also really important so you need basics period and then the more basics you have like as you said being able to draw on your basics is really important and in general, just having basics is always going to be very valuable. Wizards has, since the very beginning of the game, um, or at least since after they decided to stop pinning dual lands, decided that basic lands always have to be... there. Nothing can be strictly better than them. There always has to be a reason where, oh, I could play basics, and that might be a better option than this land. Yeah, I know. It is It is funny, too, when you see cards like Blood Moon that, have, that were printed so long ago, but in one of the early expansions, so like... There's a there's a very, very, very specific number of years, right, that magic existed in this place before before the designers figured out what was going to work long term and what wasn't, right? So the first cards come out, and you have the first expansions hitting, hitting the shelves in 94. So between 94 and 2000, 
essentially, is where you have like most of the most unfair things ever and the most like broken backwards things ever being printed, most specifically in those first couple years. So when you look back, isn't it crazy to see that Blood Moon was printed in like 1994? That that was a card that that was a card that was printed in '94 and is still legal in modern. It's like that oppressive, and it's the card that was printed a year after the game first came out. Like of all the mistakes they've made, that's one that for for whatever reason they're still standing by. Well, it's it's it the the format back in that day it was the swingiest. I would even say I would I don't know if I agree that only the most powerful cards came from that time because Tarmogoyf, you know, uh, uh, well no 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 no, no, no not, not lingering not, souls, not, uh, not powerful Cruz. not powerful. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying things that things they didn't want the game to be able to do oh sure like that's what I'm saying. yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah, the I mean, way they designed cards back then was different sure sure and, and part of that is just learning i mean it, you know it took magic is by far the most complex game out there yeah no question and it took them 10 years to figure out oh this is the best way to make this game and then it took them another 10 years to get it like oh and this is the way best way to make it popular <laughs> like it took them a while to get even to the level now, and they're still making changes and figuring stuff out. They just changed standard back from the the three set rotation to a four set rotation. So like, every... did we talk about did, did we talk about that on the show? I don't know if we have talked about it on the show. Did you talk about it last week? I think I might have mentioned it, but I think it came. I think the announcement came when you were in Hong Kong and I was doing a solo episode. So I don't know if we ever did. All right, let's put a pin in that. We'll talk about it at the end of the episode. We'll do it next week. Maybe we're out of time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so that's really kind of the important facets of what you want to do with these lands. I mean, it back in the day, dual lands are probably the closest thing to something more powerful than a basic land, and it's kind of why wasteland is it has been allowed to survive. I think in legacy to a certain extent is just to kind of be like, here's our encouragement for why these lands aren't going to be too good. <laughs> Right, what, right, right. And I do think one of the reasons they stick with Blood Moon is because they believe that it's not land destruction in the same sense as Armageddon, even though for all intents and purposes it is, but in the right. sense that it's just more like you still get to tap your lands. You're not they're not, not in front of you, so it's not as terrible. Right. So I, there, there's reasoning behind it. I, I, I do think, you know, when you're building your mana base, start with fetches and shocks. And then, and I would even say start with 12 fetches and five shocks and five basics. So that puts you at 22. Um, and then, you know, a, a couple man lands. Start there. And then start kind of whittling down your fetches by adding some spell lands, adding some, you know, if, the, if your deck needs to be a little bit, you know, faster, getting rid of the man lands and putting fast lands in there. If you're noticing you have too many spells in the deck that are, you know, comp. Com- competing for uh, how converted mana cost, so you have you know cryptic command and kiki jiki. Then think about maybe throwing a filter land in there. Um, if you're when you're, you know you're playing, you're like, oh, I, I can f- afford a ghost quarter or two or three because I need to be able to handle these land decks that are a problem for me, like John or like Tron. Then you know put those in there. Like th- there's it's a it's a slow process to kind of tick down what you need to add, and the fetch lands are kind of where you have that buffer to add and take away lands. Um, well, also and also remember that when you're dealing with when you're dealing with mana base, mana base is the one thing that, that the percentage, the, the specific percentage is so dependent on you having a large sample size, so much more than any other card in your deck, because there's 24 to 27 of them in your deck, that make sure when you build a mana base, if you're really trying to perfect it, you slam 30, 40, 50 games before you go to an event, because like 
that whole idea of like, how often is this happening to me on turn one? How often am I stalling out? How often am I getting ghost quartered and can't recover? Like you really need to know those things. Right. The difference of playing three copies of a card in your deck versus playing four, if it's not something that's just like a, like a slam dunk four of is important, but figuring out your mana base can be so important at the highest level. Like it's, Sure. It is truly something that requires the biggest sample size more than almost anything else in Magic. And, and front of the cast, Eric Wydetz kind of actually gave me in my deck building learning past the best advice I've had for this kind of part of the problem is when you're testing a deck on the side of somewhere, somewhere on your phone or anywhere next to the deck name, just keep a running tally. And every time you get mana flooded, put a little plus one add one. Every time you get mana screwed, minus one. And just kind of keep track. And if your number starts, if you start paying attention, you start noticing that the number is starting to get weighted towards, you know, I have 10 points. That means I'm getting flooded too often. Or I'm a negative 10. I'm getting mana screwed all the time. Then that's when you start adding, add a land. And then see what happens. Add a land. Or subtract a land. You know, see where you're going. Or if, oh, I'm getting mana flood every game. Okay. Add a man land. Or change, maybe change one of the lands you're playing to a man land, because you're obviously playing too many, so you either should make it a spell or get rid of it. So, you know, there are these little changes you can make to make your deck slightly better and make it so that you're making sure you're hitting your land drops on time. And in the late game, you're not running out of gas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that pretty much wraps us up now. Yeah, I think that's 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 it for the episode as far as the land theme. Uh, you know, as a reminder, we are at the MMCast on Twitter. I'm uh, at yeah. Cass Wiley. I'm at Ben Bateman Media, and just a reminder once again, guys, that we have moved to Collected.Company with Jimmy and Josh. We're over there. You can find all of our episodes. It's We're the sweetest. All. Yeah, it's an isn't it a cool isn't it a cool brand name, guys? Yeah. Collected.Company. Yeah, we yeah. just thought it was really cool. Um, and and uh, one one question actually, because you brought something up, and I actually am very interested to see how Twitter answers this. So when I started playing Magic. Um, and started interacting with Magic on social media, I kind of had a hard fast rule where I wouldn't really talk about it on Facebook. And you brought up Facebook, so I kind of wanted to ask about this. I want to know from our listeners, do they currently post about Magic on their Facebook page? And or do they... Um, and, and, or how, and how long did it take them to start doing that? Interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. That'll be the, the poll of the week to, uh, yeah. to figure out. So, uh, yeah. That sounds that sounds good. Right, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Uh, make sure to uh, let us know what you think about kind of some of the new format that we're trying out. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Yeah, guys, we're always open to changes, and this is a transitional period for us. Where we also want to just last thing for anybody who's still listening. Quick apology just for like sort of the the ups and downs of the last month. There's been a lot of uh, kind of inconsistency on the release day, and we've been like jumping around where we've been recording. We're trying to nail down the next little while here and get on the same page. Kessler's been out of town. I've been out of town. Uh, it's not something we intend to do for a long time. This is not how things will be. So just uh, letting everybody know, don't panic in case you've been frustrated waiting for it on Wednesday and getting it on Thursday or something like that. 100%. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you for your attention. See you later, alligator.